0: Let's pray as we turn our attention to God's word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for the word. We thank you and praise you that we have this body of truth delivered once for all to the saints. Lord Jesus, we ask and pray that you would move now by your Holy Spirit to encourage our faith, that you would help us to persevere in the strength that you provide, resting in your love. Lord God, we ask and pray these things because we know it won't happen apart from the work of your spirit. And so we ask you to move today. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last weekend was the Chicago Marathon, and uh, that actually reminded me of the the 2007 uh, Chicago Marathon. The women's race had a surprising end that year. There was a young Romanian newcomer. Her name was Adriana Pertia. It was her first marathon. She had about a 30-second lead with a mile to go in the race. She was leading the older, more experienced uh, Ethiopian Bernard Adir. You can see her in the background there in that picture. And as she got near the end, as Pertia got near the end, uh, she started celebrating. She started smiling and waving at the crowd, uh, certain that victory was hers. Adir, who was the defending champion, saw that Pertia was slowing down and she knew that she still had a chance. And so she said to herself, I decided to sprint. And within the last 50 meters or so, she overtook the unsuspecting Pertia. By the time she knew it was happening, it was too late. And Adir won by just three seconds. Pertia said this afterwards. She said, I thought someone in the crowd would say, go, or someone's coming, but nobody said anything. It was too late. When I realized what actually happened, I had tears in my eyes. When Adir won, the announcer said, That's a champion. That's a champion, unbelievable, wouldn't give up. The Christian faith is often compared to a race like a marathon because it requires great endurance to finish and not just finish, but finish strong. Half the people in the Bible who failed morally did so in the second half of their lives. How we begin the race is not nearly as important as how we run and how we finish the race. God wants us to finish strong. He wants us to run with perseverance the race that is set before us. And we run with perseverance by looking to Jesus who is the founder and the finisher of our faith. And we're gonna see that same Truth in the book of Jude today. What's interesting to me is that in Jude, there were these people who were false disciples, and the church, the congregation, was at risk of being taken out of their race. And so Jude is encouraging them to persevere in the faith in the face of these false disciples. And he gives such a wonderful encouragement in this letter that this happens because of God's work. We have this great assurance that God is the one who enables us to persevere in the faith. And Jude encourages disciples in every age then to live faithful, to stay faithful and godly in the midst of an ungodly world. So turn in your Bibles to... To the book of Jude, if you're not already there, we're finishing up our our sermon series through the little letters, and we're looking at verses 17 through the end of the book today. And the message for us is this, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, persevere in the faith, and we'll see four ways that we contend for the faith. Remember God's word, remain faithful, rescue some, and rely on God. But before we dive into those, let's set the context. Jude begins by reminding the believers that they are called, loved, and kept by God in verse 1. The God who called them loves them and will keep them in the faith to the end. Jude begins by reminding them and us as believers that our perseverance in the faith does not depend on our own strength. Now, this does not cancel out our own responsibility because we're going to see in verse 21 today that the church is told to keep yourselves in the love of God. What it does mean is that the ultimate reason that believers keep the faith is because God is keeping them. You are kept by God, beloved. That's the anchor, that's the foundation. That is your great assurance in the face of every trial and temptation and all the opposition that you face as a believer. Now John's purpose is to motivate them to defend the true faith. He urges them in verse 3, look there, he says, "...to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints." And the reason they have to contend for the faith is because some false disciples have crept into the church. They threaten the purity of the church, both in terms of its doctrine and its practice, the way that they live. They are ungodly people, he says, immoral. They're sinful. They pervert, verse 4, they pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. Using the grace of God is a cloak for sin, especially sexual sin. Imagine this. The gospel, right, is the good news of how God takes sinners and forgives us, rescues us from our sin, sets us free from, from that sin. The message of the gospel is that we're not saved by doing good works. We're saved by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone. That's the message. And it's a glorious message. But these people were saying, well... Because God is gracious and because we're forgiven, it doesn't matter how we live because we're going to be forgiven. So they turned and twisted God's grace into a reason for sensuality, for their um, immoral, ungodly living. As you read the book of Jude, it's not so much the doctrine that's in the forefront, but it's their ungodly deeds, their ungodly lifestyle that's in the fore. So they pervert the grace of God into sensuality, which of course is not true because Jesus is both Savior and Lord, and his disciples are to obey everything that he commands. And so they also deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Those two problems are related. In twisting God's grace and living in sin, they effectively deny the lordship of Jesus Christ because they're living their own way. They reject his authority to follow their own authority, their own sinful desires, verse 16, verse 18. Like gangrene, this putrid disease is gonna slowly spread and be the death of the church. So Jude urges them to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And it's not merely doctrine that we're contending for, but deeds, godly living. Now, the word contend means to exercise intense effort for something. It's an athletic image. It's like a contest in an arena or a military image, like fighting in a battle, of course, with dire consequences. The point is that this is a serious struggle. He's telling them to strive intensely to safeguard the faith. And when he says the faith here, he means this body of truth, that the doctrines of the Christian life, the doctrines of our faith, the teaching of Christ that has been passed on through the apostles, that truth is not something that we can compromise on. It's something that we contend for. How do we do that? How do we contend for the faith? Well, that's what we're going to see in our text today. And there are four ways, like I said. First, remember who the apostles warned you about. Remember and act accordingly. Remember so that you can recognize and refuse to follow their teaching and their ways. We, we see this in verses 17 through 19. Look there with me. But you, beloved, must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Now, most of the letter is spent exposing these false disciples so that the church will be able to recognize them and refuse to follow their teaching and their ways. Again, the main issue is their immoral lives. They're scoffers, he says. They reject God's moral requirements and they live for themselves. A scoffer does not listen to rebuke or reproof. Proverbs 13.1, Proverbs 15.12. They're unteachable. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride, Proverbs 21.24. They are self-centered, intent on living their own way, following their own sinful desires. Again, verse 16, verse 18. They cause divisions, verse 19. They worm their way into the church and cause all kinds of problems. Jude looks at their life of sin and he sees, you know what? These are worldly people, not spiritual people. They're governed by the flesh, not the spirit. In fact, they're devoid of the spirit. And so they're not genuine Christians. This is evident from their sinful lifestyle. This is why they're designated for judgment, verse 4, verse 6, verse 15. They may have crept in unnoticed, by the church, hiding their true character from the church, at least at first, but they cannot hide from God who knew that they would come and who keeps them under his judgment. Verse six. Now the apostles predicted such scoffers would come and they they talk about this in multiple places, but here's one example. Paul writes, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self. avoid such people, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Jude calls them to remember the prediction of the, the apostles. But remembering here means more than just calling this to mind. If Sarah says to me, hey, remember that we're having people over for dinner tonight. That's a way of telling me to plan and act accordingly. It means don't schedule any other meetings tonight. It means make sure you're home from work because she needs my help to get the house ready. This, this reminder implies taking the proper action. So when Jude says, remember the apostles' predictions about these scoffers, he wants them to heed the warning and act accordingly. Don't be caught off guard. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. They're to remember so that they won't follow them. You see, God is warning us that the road to heaven is paved with conflict. It's not a peaceful, easy road. We face conflict both from without and from within the church, from those who oppose the true faith. And beloved, this warning is as much for us as it was for them. Don't follow the false words or ways of these ungodly people. There are those who undermine the truth in every church every church in every age must be prepared to deal with false teachers false disciples worldly people devoid of the spirit those who twist the scriptures and cause division now sadly there are always those in church who are ready to listen to anything new they're ready to to be blown about by every wind of teaching, but instead we have to hold fast to the trustworthy word as taught, as handed down to us and reject any teaching or behavior that undermines or contradicts the true faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. There is a standard of truth and morality that must be upheld by the believers. This body of truth written down and passed on to us is now recorded in the Bible. What this means is, is that we have to test everything that we hear against the scriptures to see if it's true. We have to be like the Bereans who looked at the scriptures every day to see if the things that they were hearing were true. You have to know the word and live the word if you're going to contend for the faith. Contending for the faith means more than just fighting to preserve the truth. We have to do that. But it also means fighting against our own temptation so that we remain steadfast in our own faith. And that leads us to point two. Remain faithful. Keep yourselves in the love of God. We see this in verses 20 and 21. Now, keep yourselves in the love of God. That is the main command in this passage of Scripture. It's the only imperative here. And it's explained by Jude with three participles, building, praying, and waiting. So look at verses 20 and 21 with me. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, the focus here then is on persevering in the faith. And Jude Jude tells us how we're supposed to keep ourselves in the love of God. He tells us these three things. First, build yourselves up in the faith. This is a picture of the church as a temple being built up, a very common picture in Scripture. The point, though, is that we grow in maturity, we grow in holiness, we grow in Christ-likeness. And the foundation of this, the foundation of this building is Christ and his word. Again, you have to know the truth of the faith if you're going to contend for it and to live them out. That means we have to be studying and meditating on and striving to apply God's word in our lives. Soldiers don't go into battle without knowing their weapons. The word of God is our sword. Musicians don't get up to play without knowing their music. Our score is the scriptures. They direct our course. They defend us from evil. So do you know the word? And more importantly, are you living the word? Are you putting the word into practice in your life? Now, I want you to note here that the you in this verse is plural. This is a group project, this building yourselves up in your holy faith. This isn't you, individual Christian, all by your lonesome, build yourself up. This is you, church, together as a community, build yourselves up. In your most holy faith. So, this is a group project. We do it together as a church. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. No Christian disciple can say, I'm going to do this on my own. I don't need you. Every person must follow Christ. Yes. Yet we don't mature in the faith alone. This is why we need discipleship relationships. This is what we talked about two Sundays ago. We have to be willing to receive instruction and correction from fellow believers. Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Isolation leads to immorality. Unlike the the scoffer who will not accept reproof, Proverbs 15.12, we need one another because we won't mature in the faith on our own. Isolation is often a way to avoid correction and to live your own way. Like a lion who is hunting, the buffalo that gets isolated from the herd gets eaten. They're the most vulnerable. Isolation makes us vulnerable to being devoured by the devil who prowls around like a lion looking to eat somebody. This is why we need discipleship relationships. Christians encourage and build one another up so that we hold fast to Christ together and obey his commands. So again, I'll ask, like I did two weeks ago, who are you investing in and who is investing in you? And it doesn't matter your age. Every single Christian needs this no matter where you are in your spiritual life. You never get to the place where you can say, I've arrived. I don't need anybody else now. I'm good. Second, pray in the Holy Spirit. This is not praying in tongues. We know that because this is a command for every single Christian, and not every Christian has that gift. This is just ordinary praying. All praying that is real, that is earnest, is done in the Spirit. That is our praying is motivated and guided by the Holy Spirit. It means that we're praying in accordance with God's will in the scripture. For example, we don't pray for a Ferrari, but for faithfulness. You, you get the idea. The Bible says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So this is how we're supposed to pray. Pray in the spirit. It means pray long enough, pray honestly enough That you are praying earnestly, that you're not just going through the motions, that you're not just checking a box. You get the feeling that you're actually doing business with God. Prayer is essential to keeping ourselves in God's love, depending on Him for everything that we need to obey Him. Without prayer, you're like a phone that you never charge. Our walk with God is sustained by prayer. There is never a day where we don't need to ask God for the strength to live his way. Now, I want you to see how God's word and God and prayer are connected here. When we pray, we pray in line with God's will in scripture in order that we might receive what we need to live God's way in scripture. Third, we're back to this central command, sorry, I don't have that here. Keep yourselves in the love of God. This is the main command, persevere in the faith again three descriptors, building, praying, waiting. But before we move past this, I think there's a couple of comments worth making. First of all, nothing can separate us from God's love. Yet the experience of God's love can be hindered by sin. So think about Jesus's command to remain in my love. Jesus said, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. John 15 verses nine and 10. So Christ loves us unconditionally, yet we still have the responsibility to remain in his love. We do that by obeying his commands. And this is right at the heart of what Jude is dealing with. This is right at the heart of the problem because this is exactly what the scoffers are not doing. They're following their own ungodly desires. And they're leading other people astray as well so that they don't remain in God's love. And the second comment worth making here is that we remain in God's love because of the persevering or the preserving work of God himself. He promised he'll keep us. Now this doesn't negate our responsibility to persevere in the faith. Rather, and listen to this, it enables it and guarantees it God gives us what he demands, our faithful perseverance. Last summer when we were on vacation, uh, we were uh, at the ocean and the, and the huge, these big waves would come rolling in and the little kids would just get bowled over. And so when we would go out there, they would want to hold, hold my hand, right? And as the waves came in, were they hanging onto my hand? Oh, yeah with everything they had, right? But was I hanging on to them? Yes, and who was it that kept them from being bowled over by the wave? Was it them or was it me? It was their father. It's the same way with us. Yes, we cling to our father, but it's our father that clings to and upholds us. That is why we persevere in the faith. God's power is what enables our perseverance. Now, unlike me, God's strength is unlimited, amen? I mean, eventually I'm gonna get tired. And of course, eventually my kids are gonna outgrow their need for me to hold their hand. But we will never outgrow our need for God. Third then, waiting eagerly, for the mercy of Jesus that leads to eternal life, waiting eagerly for heaven. One of the ways that we remain faithful is by longing for Christ's return. Waiting here, okay, raise your hand if you think waiting stinks. Yeah, me too. Waiting here is not like waiting at the DMV. (laughs) Waiting here is like waiting for Christmas. Like a kid waiting for Christmas, something that you're excited about, something that you're anticipating, something that you're longing for, you are eager for it, you want it to happen. Anybody want Jesus to come back? Amen. See, our citizenship is in heaven and we don't think about heaven enough. From heaven, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform your lowly body to be like his glorious body. Philippians 3:20 20 and 21. No more battle with false teaching, no more struggle with your sin, no more trouble or pain or sorrow, just continued unhindered fellowship with Jesus in his glorious presence forever. It's going to be the greatest day that you've ever experienced, followed by a never-ending succession of the greatest day that you've ever experienced. The false disciples are going to be condemned. The true Christian will find mercy leading to eternal life. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. 1 John 3, 3. We live, I know it's cliche, but we live in light of eternity. It ought to make a difference for how you live today, knowing that this is coming. We are either going to hope and love and live for this world, or we're going to hope and love, and live for the next one. C.S. Lewis observed this. He said, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were just those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. So building, praying, waiting, this is how you keep yourselves in God's love. Now, only when we're grounded in the faith are we ready to reach out to those who are being influenced to one degree or another by false ideas, and that's point three. Restore those you can with mercy, yet caution. We see this in verses 22 and 23. Look there with me. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear. Hating even the garment stained by the flesh. These are the people who've been influenced by the false teachers. Now Jude calls the disciples to restore the wavering and reclaim the wayward. What this means is that personal faithfulness is not all that is required of you, withdrawal into a, a private spirituality is not what Jude is after. We have to do what we can to reclaim the people that are being impacted before it's too late, yet you do this with caution so that you yourself are not polluted by sin. He says, we should have mercy on those who doubt, those who are beginning to waver. Be patient with them. Seek to understand their struggle. Correct them with gentleness, Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.25. We're actively engaged here, doing everything that we can to restore them. We're urging them to commit themselves to the faith to Christ. Then he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. These are those who have begun to embrace this false teaching and they're in much greater danger. They're in danger of sharing the same condemnation as the false teachers, the false disciples. They're teetering on the brink and the fires of hell are like licking at their feet. But there's still hope for them, he says, obviously, because he says, snatch them from the fire. We plead with them, we proclaim the truth to them, we pray for them and for God to intervene. It's like Joshua, the high priest that we read in Zechariah, who's like a brand plucked from the fire. Finally, there are others who are ensnared in sin. Our mercy with them must be mingled with fear, he says. That is, with a hatred of sin. It says, to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the, f- the flesh. It's a fear of being polluted by the same sins. This implies being cautious and limited conduct. Again, it seems like Jude is reaching back and alluding to Joshua, the high priest, who was wearing filthy garments that needed to be removed and exchanged for pure vestments. Zechariah 3, 3-5. Now, the word stained that Jude uses... Reflects the word filthy from Zechariah. That word filthy means human excrement. Then Jude uses a word for clothing that refers to the inner garment that is worn next to the skin. So the picture then is that their underclothes are stained by excrement. I know that's gross. The image is meant to be shocking and disgusting like a soiled garment, it shows how disgusting sin is so that we will hate it and avoid being polluted by it ourselves as we try to help other people. So for example, everybody knows we, we had a flu bug sweep through the church. When, when one of our little girls threw up and got puke all over her, And we took her to the bathroom to get her cleaned up. So gross. I was doing everything I could not to touch any of it. (laughs) Like, you know, like, I don't want that on me. That's the picture here. We should be grossed out by sin and not even want to touch it. As we seek to restore people, we have to be careful that we Influence the one who is trapped in sin and not the reverse, them influencing us so that we become polluted by sin. Galatians 6.1 says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, but keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Of course, like cleaning up my daughter after throwing up, it is a messy process dealing with someone who is in sin. And so we need wisdom in applying these verses. We need discernment to know who are we dealing with. We need both courage and compassion as we seek to restore them to Christ. Now, finally, in all of this, we rely on God who will surely keep you. We see this in verses 24 and 25. God keeps us so that we keep the faith. God's grace and strength will enable us to persevere to the end. Jude ends on this highly encouraging note, this doxology. It gives us great assurance and fills us with awe because of who our God and Savior is. So look at verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever, amen. It's God who keeps you from stumbling and who will present you blameless in his glorious presence in the end. Our perseverance depends on God's ability and power, not ours'. Okay, so now I need, a, I need Jonathan and Todd to come up here for just a little picture. And Titus, I need you too, buddy. Um, so Todd and Jonathan, what I want you guys to do is I just want you to set this ooh, sorry, set this bar on your shoulder and then hang on to it. Uh, yeah, there you go. All right, Titus. And I want Titus, I want you to jump up there and I want you to hang on to that. Uh, see if you can hang on for a minute, okay? Jump up there and hang on. All right, hang on, buddy. Just Just hang. Hang tight. This 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 I should have been te- I'm let me look at my phone here. Okay. Oh, don't slip. That's, imp- Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. Nice. Keep going. You got it. Oh. Okay. <laughs> that was good. You did it longer than you did it at home, so I'm proud of you. That's awesome that was like 25 seconds or so, maybe 20 seconds. All right, now let's do it again. Let's do it again. Uh, Jump up there and hang on. And now this time, just hang on. Hang on, buddy. (laughs) Just hang on. You don't have to fight so hard. Let's see if you can hang for a minute. Do you guys think that he'll be able to hang here for a minute? Yeah. All right, let me ask you this question. Uh, Right now, who is Titus relying on? Is he relying on himself alone? No, he's not. Who's he relying on to help him? His father, his dad. Now, does this mean that Titus right now can just let go? That it doesn't matter if he hangs on? No, not at all. He still needs to hang on. Now, I have no idea how much time has passed, but I think that I could hold him here for a minute. Hey, thanks, buddy. You can go sit down. Thanks, guys. This is a picture of what it's like for us persevering in the faith. Yes, we, we have to hang on, right? But ultimately, it's God our Father who is holding us up. It's God who is enabling us to do what He asks in remaining faithful to Him. Now, we don't have the strength to persevere in our own strength, just like Titus doesn't, but God does. Now, there are a few, I think... Ways that this picture breaks down. First of all, our Christian life is an active one. We're not just hanging around. (laughs) We're doing things. Second, the Christian life is more than a one-minute test of endurance. It's our whole life. And third, like I said before, earthly fathers will eventually grow tired and wear out. But our Heavenly Father will never run out of strength to uphold us. Amen? See, the key in all of this is that God enables us to persevere. He is the one, the text says, that keeps us from stumbling. He is the one who presents us blameless in the end. He preserves us to the end so that we're saved. And this gives us such amazing assurance as his children. So Jude ends where he began. He began with the fact that we are kept by God and he ends with the fact that we are kept by God. Yes, we're responsible to be faithful and to rely on the grace that God provides. You must keep yourselves in the love of God. Yet we're only able to do that because God keeps us. You are kept by God to keep the faith. God provides everything that we need to remain faithful to Christ. He provides everything that we need to resist the forces of evil, both from without and from within. Now, this doesn't mean that you're never going to to sin, it means that God will preserve us from falling away and abandoning the faith. Notice that God pre- uh, presents us in his presence with great joy. This is the celebration of heaven. This is the inexpressible joy that we will have when we come into the presence of the only God. This doxology gives us such assurance We are secure in him. It reminds us that we owe God our complete allegiance and it fills us with awe of our great God. It leads us to worship him because all glory and majesty and dominion and authority belong to him forever. So we say, amen. Amen. It's a great comfort and assurance that God called us. He chose to save us. He prepared a place for us, and he is the one that is going to make sure that you arrive safely home to heaven. He will carry his work to completion. The work that he began in you, he will bring it to completion. Philippians 1.6. We expend every effort, every effort, but we rest in the fact that God is ultimately the one that keeps us and he will never leave us or lose us. He will not fail. So I want to close with Jude's encouraging doxology. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. Praise you, Lord. We simply say, amen.